Okay, let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, new chapter. Oh! Read verses 1 through 6. A great sign, this message is called. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child with a big C as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Let's pray. Father, we're exciting. It's getting exciting. We're getting into the second half of the tribulation now, second half of the book of Revelation. God, we ask you to bless this time of study this morning and continue to train us, prepare us, and equip us for the times in which we are now living. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a first part here. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. This is one of those flashbacks. I've talked to you repeatedly how Revelation is not all chronological. We're going to flashback here, and we're actually going to look to the book of Genesis, where the uh, origins of this image are found. Genesis 37.5, Joseph. How many remember Joseph? One of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of uh, Jacob who became Israel. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. <laughs> they were already jealous of him. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Young, naive Joseph, thinking that his brothers would be blessed by his dream. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Hello, Joseph. Hello. Might not be a good idea to share this dream. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You remember the outcome. Eventually, they throw him in a hole. They're going to kill him at first. Reuben talks him out of it. They throw him in a hole, then they sell him to the Ishmaelites. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And they said, Oh, goody, goody. <laughs> uh, at this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bow down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so we know that ultimately that's exactly what happened. Joseph, although he went to Egypt as a slave, God ultimately elevated him to the number two position in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. His family then was in Canaan, starving to death. They came to Egypt for food, didn't know it was him, didn't recognize him. 
And ultimately, he basically saved his whole family from starvation. They all moved to Egypt to be there with Joseph. But we know what happened. After Pharaoh died, Joseph died. Pharaohs came along who knew not Joseph, didn't know the relationship that the, the Hebrews, the Jews, had had with Joseph, with Pharaoh. They ultimately came under slavery, under bondage for 400 years. But Joseph's dream came true. His whole family pretty much bowed down before him as he had been elevated to that position of rulership and authority in Egypt. And they needed his help to survive the severe famine that had been in the land of Canaan. But we see the parallels here. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to Joseph. The sun would have been his father, Jacob. The moon, his mother, Rachel. The eleven stars would have been his brothers, the other eleven tribes of Israel. And here we see the same analogy of the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Here in Revelation, there can be no doubt that the woman here is the nation of Israel. And we see the garland of twelve stars being, again, the twelve tribes of Israel. Now verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor, and in pain gave birth. So again, the nation of Israel is the nation chosen by God to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But we could also tie this in with Mary, Mary and or Israel, giving birth to Jesus. And then three, another star appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his heads. So at this point, we have the woman, Israel, slash Mary, bringing forth the male child. And then we have enter Satan here, the red dragon. The Greek word for red here is the same one as the one used for the red horse in Revelation 6, 4. And red is the color of war and the color of blood. We just talked about the fact that Satan is the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's the destroyer. He's the murderer who desires to destroy the human race. And in particular, here we're going to see how he attempted to prevent the coming of the Messiah over and over again. War and blood, these are among Satan's specialties. The dragon, the image of the dragon here, pictures his ferocious and intensely cruel nature. And the word dragon, by the way, is literally a large serpent. Does that ring a bell? Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. We know that Satan appeared to Eve in the form of a serpent and deceived her, led her and Adam into sin, and that was the beginning of this destruction of the human race because Adam and Eve, who were created to live forever, would now have to taste physical death because they disobeyed God and listened to the deception of the serpent, the dragon, Satan. It says, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns. The same description is used in chapter 13 in reference to the beast, also known as the Antichrist. Revelation 13.1, John writes, 
Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. The sea represents humanity. And the sea is really big today, seven and a half billion people on the planet. So this beast is rising up out of the sea of humanity, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Exact same description in Revelation 13 of the beast is what we see of the dragon here in chapter 12. The beast is the Antichrist who will be personally indwelt by Satan. And that's why they both have the exact same description. Having seven heads, it can also be translated seven hills. If you go to Revelation 17.3, He carried me away in the spirit. This is John. The angel carried him away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Again, the beast is the Antichrist. The woman here, how many of you have ever seen the symbol for the European Union? It's a woman riding a beast. Did you know that? Isn't that a coincidence? The woman is Europa, the moon goddess. Europe, the name Europe is taken from her name, Europe is named after Europa, the moon goddess. Allah, how many of you heard of Allah? Allah, as we have learned from our good friend Avi Lipkin, who may be coming again this summer, by the way. Allah was and is the moon god in the pantheon of Arabic gods. The Arab peoples, back around 700 when Islam came into existence, they were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods, just like the Hindus and other groups on the planet. Polytheistic, many gods. The Arabs worshipped many gods. One of them was Allah, the moon god. Uh, Muhammad felt like he needed to compete with Christianity and Judaism. He felt like that uh, he wanted to come up to their level. They were both monotheistic. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's why we call it the Judeo-Christian faith because both Jews and Christians worship the one true God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mohammed says we've got to come up with something to compete with this if we really want to get on the world stage. So he chose out of all the Arabic gods, this polytheistic pantheon of gods, he chose... Allah, who was the moon god and the sword god. That's why you see the, the image of the sword, the scimitar, on the Islamic flag. So here we have Europa, the moon goddess, riding the beast. We have Allah, the moon Very interesting because right now, if you look at Europe, you could almost say, Islam is riding the beast of Europa. They're taking over Europe. There are some, I don't, I, the, the jury is still out for me, but there are some like Joel Rosenberg, whom I very much respect. Others, we had, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. <sighs> Spoke here way back when we were in the other building. Anyway, and even Avi, I believe, is on this same trajectory. There are a number of people that are believing quite possibly 
this is a little unusual, I know, but that the Antichrist may actually be Muslim. And they do teach. They have their own, I've shared this with you before, the Muslims have their own eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. When we study the last days in the Bible, prophecy, the end times, the uh, theological term is eschatology. Well, the Muslims have their own eschatology. They believe that the Mahdi, the last imam, who's hiding in a well somewhere, so that seems quite feasible. I'm being facetious. Will rise up at the appropriate time and reveal himself and basically they will take over the world, the Muslims, under the leadership of the Mahdi. But guess who's going to be his right-hand man? Jesus Christ. But Jesus will be subservient to the Mahdi, and Jesus is going, his job is going to be to convince the Christian world that they were wrong, and they need to embrace Islam. That's Muslim eschatology. And so, I find it interesting at the least that we have here the woman sitting on the scarlet beast, the Antichrist, Europa. And that's why many uh, historically have believed that the seat of the Antichrist government will be in Europe. It'll be coming out of the European Union. And that is still very possible. But let me also point out this. The woman could also be, and again, many times in the scriptures, there can be more than one meaning. There can be layers. The woman could also be the false harlot universalist church, which again would be an amalgamation of Islam and Catholicism and all the other religions melding together. Because when you get right down to it, every, just about every group has some kind of eschatology of their own. The way they think that the end times will play out. This could be, she could be representing the false harlot universalist church. And by the way, that's what Warren B. Smith's book is all about. Which morphs into the one world religion of the tribulation in collusion with the beast and via the false prophet. We're going to learn about the false prophet in chapter 13. He will be the spiritual leader. He'll be the right hand man of the Antichrist who will lead the whole world into spiritual deception. And by the way, does all this sound far-fetched, or can you see these things coalescing and happening and forming all around us even as we speak? Can you see it? It's out there. And you don't have to look very hard. You do not have to look very hard. And I, in fact, it's been probably 10 years ago or so when we were still having services in the other building that I told this congregation, I don't know how many of you were here then, but when the time comes, the first ones to turn against the true believers will be the leaders of the false church, the um, seeker-friendly, purpose-driven, yada, 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 okay? The ones who are embracing homosexuality, the ones who are embracing same-sex marriage, the ones who are embracing transgenderism, the ones who are embracing abortion. Do you know there are many of those in the church today? And you know the first ones that are going to turn you in? It won't be the non-believers. It'll be the fake believers that will turn you in. But hopefully we won't be here. We will be raptured by then. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but if we're not, we will hang together, will we not? Because I'd rather hang with you than apart from you. I think you get my drift. If we're going to hang, let's hang together, shall we? And I'll even go first. How's that? Last one of the guillotines, a rotten egg. <laughs> you got to laugh at it, don't you? Right? Because in the end, we know we're going to be with God. Revelation 17, 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. If you want to have a mind which has wisdom, then you need to be in the Word of God. That is the source of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. Hello. On which the woman sits. The moon goddess, Europa. The false spiritual aspect of the Antichrist's one world government. And she's riding him so... It kind of implies, like it's so often the case, she may be the one behind the scenes, pulling the strings, if you were. But here's an interesting thing. Again, this is why, historically, those who have really studied eschatology, prophecy, end times, scriptures, have put forth the belief that this would indicate that the seat of the one world government and religion would be in Rome. Because Rome is a city on seven hills. But guess what? It's not the only one. You know what other city sits on seven hills? Jerusalem. You know another city that sits on the seven hills? Brussels. And that is the head of the European Union. Another city on seven hills, check this out. Tehran, Iran. Now if it would turn out that the Antichrist would be Muslim, Tehran would be a great place to make your your home base. And then finally, there's one other. Now, there are dozens more of cities in the world who sit on seven hills, but the, I'm about to mention the fifth one here, and these five, I believe, are all tremendous possibilities. The fifth one is Mecca. Mecca also sits on seven hills. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Whichever city is the correct one, the common understanding is that this city will be the seat of the Antichrist's power. And then we have ten horns. And this is going to fit in very nicely to another part of the current world game plan. Globalist game plan. Ten horns. The Re Revelation 17, 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Again, and not everything here is chronological, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. What's the significance of the one hour? What John the Revelator is telling us in this passage, or what's being told to him, and then he passes it on to us, is that in terms of the overall spectrum of human history, their reign will be very brief relatively insignificant in terms of the overall historic perspective. In fact, Jesus said, unless the days be shortened, even the very elect would not be saved. No flesh would be saved. 
So even though in, in human terms, seven years may seem like a long time, in, in the overall scheme of things, it's only one hour of the earth's, the world's entire history. They'll rule with him for one hour as kings with the beast. So what does this tell us? That under the Antichrist, the world is going to be divided into ten sectors. It'll no longer be individual sovereign nations. Does this sound familiar? Is there a global move today to eradicate borders and eradicate national sovereignty? I think Henry Kissinger, 97 years old, you got to wonder about that guy. Why is he still around? He's saying now that we need a whole entire... Now, he's been talking like this for a long time, really. But we've got it basically... I'll put it... Just paraphrase what he just said this past week. We do need to get rid of these sovereign nations and borders, and we need to move into a global one-world order. And he's been saying that for a long time. Folks... What we're reading here today is what's happening in our world today. The UN. <clears throat> this is an article from November 26, 2011, 10 years ago. Check this out. The UN divides the world into 10 regional groupings. Oh, really? Did they read Revelation 12? This global contract binds governments around the world to the UN plan for changing the ways we live, eat, learn, and communicate. Ten years ago, folks, it's been happening like the frog in the pot. Are you feeling the heat yet? All under the noble banner of saving the earth. Oh, yeah. We've got to save the earth, right? Global warming, climate change, masks, Green New Deal. It goes on and on and on. Its regulations would severely limit water, electricity, and transportation even deny human access to our most treasured wilderness areas a lot of those areas have been closed haven't they you know what I find amazing and fantastic and wonderful the minute you sit down at a table to eat COVID disappears <laughs> so I have a solution to the whole mess we just we just eat continuously just make sure at all times you have an apple, a banana, something. Because the minute you sit down to eat, there's no COVID. Isn't that incredible? That's the most amazing disease I've ever heard of. <laughs> Folks, you've heard this expression before. The inmates are running the asylum. <laughs> if implemented... And it will be. Have you ever heard of Agenda 21? That's what this is. It would manage and monitor all lands and people. That's what's happening day by day, systematically. Right? My friend Brian Davis was here last week for our Resurrection Day service. He commended me afterwards for not talking about politics. But Brian, if you're watching today, sorry. Joe Biden taking away the oil leases from the oil companies, shutting down the pipelines. Every day it's more and more governmental control. Every day it's getting harder and harder to find the products that you need. We were talking about that in prayer time before we came out here. 
Everything's getting more and more expensive. Everything is deliberately moving towards keeping you as isolated and controlled as possible. And don't think for a moment that I'm wrong because I'm not. Did you hear about the volcano in the Eastern Caribbean? St. Vincent, island of St. Vincent. Guess what? They're evacuating people. Guess who can't leave the island? The unvaccinated. If you haven't had a vaccine, you got to stay, baby. That's right. Gee, that sounds like a leper colony or something, doesn't it? Can't leave the island if you haven't been vaccinated. Wonder what else you won't be able to do in the future. Like leave your house, perhaps? Coming soon to a community near you. If implemented, it would manage and monitor all lands and people. No one would be free from the watchful eye of the new global tracking and information system. Berit Kos. Local Agenda 21, the UN plan for your community. And that was 10 years ago. Now I want to look at Daniel for a moment. I've told you before, one of the best companion pieces to the book of Revelation is the book of Daniel. Daniel 7, beginning in verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, one of these angelic beings, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four kings, which arise out of the earth. It's talking about the four great empires of the world. But the saints of the Most High, how many here today are saints of the Most High? Good. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint of the Most High. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. This is the Antichrist, the final worldly kingdom the antichrist personally indwelt by satan and the ten horns that were on its head the ten regions the ten kings ten rulers under the antichrist the other horn which came up before which three fell namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows again the antichrist it sounds as though the antichrist will rise up via a power struggle with three of these ten regional governors, possibly assassinations. Now we go to verse 21. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. This is the coming millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the second coming and the millennium. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. See, no other world empire has encompassed the entire planet, but the, the uh, government of the Antichrist will be a global, worldwide government, economy, and religion. 
shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The very thing that they're telling you, this is all to save the earth, it's actually to destroy it. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Now again, there will be saints in the tribulation. There will be people who get saved after the rapture. These are the saints that he'll be making war against and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints will be given into his hand. And this will be, we're going to get back to this, the Jews that escape the persecution of the Antichrist because they too shall be saints as they put their faith in Jesus. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, last half of the tribulation. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. So his dominion of the Antichrist will be taken away and destroyed forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So Daniel's giving us a, an outline of the end times, tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, and his fall. Okay, now, so we have the ten heads, the ten regions, the ten kings, or, you know, administrators, or prime ministers, whatever you want to call them, that will serve under the Antichrist. And then seven diadems, or crowns, on the beast's head. And remember in the Bible, the number of seven is a number of perfection, completion, or fulfillment. And what this represents, the seven crowns, as we already mentioned, his worldwide, entire, global domination. This speaks of the absolute global power and authority that the Antichrist will have. Nothing like it ever before in human history. Verse 4, his tail, the dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. So we go back, we're going back again. The, the birth hasn't happened yet as we move into verse 4. Again, this is an overview, a flashback. He stood there to devour her child. This child has a big C. Who do you think that is? Jesus. To devour her child as soon as it was born. So this is another flashback where his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. So this is a flashback to the time when Satan was cast out of heaven by God for his sin. Trying to usurp God's power and authority. He said, I will be like the Most High. Satan wanted to become God. So he was cast out and he took a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God. And so this verse gives further clarity as to the identity of the dragon because he's the one who drew a third of the stars, which are angels, out of heaven. And if you remember, the dragon stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as it was born. Remember King Herod, who was an instrument of Satan, he gave an edict he was scared to death that Jesus, the king, would take his throne. So he sent men to kill all the male children, two years and under, in Bethlehem. Because it was in, within that two-year time frame that Christ had been born. Herod sent them there. They killed all the male children in Bethlehem, two years and under. And then, secondly, by entering 
Judas, Satan, and orchestrating the crucifixion of Christ at the hands of the Romans, the devil thought he had won, that he had killed Jesus, the Messiah, but he thought wrong, didn't he? He stood before the woman, ready to give birth, to devour her child. So Satan, from the very beginning, was trying to prevent the coming of the Messiah. She bore a male child, verse 5, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which we just saw alluded to in the book of Daniel. Now Psalms 2, 7 and 8 through 9. I will declare the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like potter's vessel. Revelation 2.26, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. So again, Daniel predicts it. The Psalms predict it. Revelation predicts it. That ultimately Christ will return and he will destroy all the kingdoms of this world and establish his kingdom upon the earth. Just like we see the identity of the dragon being confirmed here in this chapter as being Satan, the scriptural cross-references also confirm for us that the male child here is definitely Jesus. And her male child was caught up to God in his throne. What happened 40 days after Jesus' resurrection? Mount of Olives, he's there with his disciples, giving his final instructions, all of a sudden, whoop, he goes. Back to heaven, from whence he came, just like he said he would. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. So this is retracing the earthly footsteps of Christ, if you will. Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Acts 1.9, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. All right, our final verse today, verse 6 of Revelation 12. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. The woman who had given birth, the nation of Israel. She fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now as we get more into Revelation and the various related scriptures, we will see that halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist, who has kind of put one over on Israel, they've got the seven-year peace treaty from Daniel chapter 7. They've been allowed to rebuild their temple. They've reinstituted their daily sacrifices and worship. They think everything is hunky-dory. They think the beast is the Messiah. Halfway through, he pulls the plug on everything, proclaims himself to be God, demands to be worshipped as God in the temple in Jerusalem. At that point, the Jews realize, oops, we made a big mistake. This is not the guy. And so the smart ones, at least, flee to Jordan. There's a place in Jordan called Petra or Petra. It's a rock fortress. We believe this is where they will flee to. So the woman is Israel halfway through the tribulation. The Antichrist will launch an all-out assault on Israel, the Jews, causing her, them, to flee to the rock fortress of Petra in Jordan. And they will be there 1,260 days. That's exactly 3.5 years 
by the Jewish lunar calendar. Our calendar has 365 days. The Jewish lunar calendar has 360. If you multiply the days times 360, it's exactly three and a half years. The last half of the tribulation where they will be there protected by God riding out the last half of the tribulation. I think we're getting into the really exciting stuff now. What about you? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this book of Revelation. Lord, we know that some people refuse to study it. They say it's too hard to understand. They say we shouldn't bother with it. But we know that that is a lie from the enemy because you wouldn't have put it there if you didn't want us to know these things. So God, we thank you. Thank you for giving us insight and understanding. Lord, we thank you for the honor and the privilege of being born into this world for such a time as this, that we are actually here to see the unfolding of these things. We also thank you, Lord, for your promise of protection upon your people. Therefore, we have no fear of what's happening now or what will happen in the future. We do look forward to seeing you face to face, but we know as long as we, were, we are here, you will watch over us, you'll protect us, you'll provide for us, and we have no need to be fearful or anxious. We ask you to strengthen our faith, give us boldness, courage, strength, stamina to stand against the rising tide of evil in this world. Lord, we know you said these things would happen. We should not be surprised. In fact, we should be excited to see these things unfolding. Thank you, Father. And while our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, raise your hand if you need prayer today for any reason. We'd like to pray for you or your loved ones, anybody that comes to mind. Raise your hand. God knows what you're raising your hand for. Father, I lift each one up to you right now. You know what each need is. It could be for a family member, a friend, uh, for illness. Lord, it could be for the person raising their hand. We pray if there's an illness involved that you'd pour out your healing. You are the great physician. We pray for healing and strength, Father, for your people and those near and dear to us. Lord, we pray for healing of relationships that have been damaged for whatever reason. Whether it's our fault or somebody else's, it doesn't matter. You are a God of reconciliation and restoration. We pray for healing and restoration of damaged or broken relationships. Lord, we pray for wisdom and guidance for those seeking it. You promised if we asked you for wisdom, you'd give it to us. Lord, we pray for relief from fear, doubt, anxiety, worry, fear. Lord, we know none of those things are from you. We know the enemy will try to heap those things upon us because he is the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Help us to renounce and relinquish all anxiety, all fear, all doubt, all worry. Help us to give it all over to you, Lord, because you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You can fix those things that we can't fix. Forgive us for trying to fix things we can't fix. Just help us to let you be the Savior. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon each one here today. I pray for financial provision where needed, for jobs where needed, for guidance. Lord, we know that no matter what's going on in our lives, you have what we need. You are the source, and we lift all these prayer requests up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.